Hey, good morning and welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Chris Plegenpole. I'm the lead pastor here. And one of the things we love to do, especially if you're new, just checking us out, is we love questions. In fact, if you have a question, this number is going to be on the screen throughout uh, the morning. And if you want to text me later on this week, we do a uh, Pastor Plex podcast, and we answer all the questions there. So we'd love to hear from you uh, on anything you might have. Now, we're on a, a series, actually it's part four of a, four of a four-part series of Gather, Group, Grow, and Go. And so this week is Go. And this is the process by which we help people love God, love people, make disciples. So uh, first of all, we'll talk First, we talk about gathering, then grouping, then growing, and now going. And really, that becomes what Christians are sort of known for, maybe positively or negatively, is that we go uh, to the nations, which we saw in our missions update. Also, we go locally. Now, this is uh, a command of God that he has given us. Matthew 28, uh, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that was Jesus' command to the, to the disciples, to the apostles, and then they sent them off to do the work of missionaries in Jerusalem and then around the globe. Well, Whenever you get a command, there's usually some responses that aren't exactly like, yes, sir, I'm going to get right after that. And I think this is one of those that a lot of us have sort of tried to figure out, like, why we shouldn't be going. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of how I am, um, well, as a father of four boys, three of which are all in the same room. And um, our baby, he's one, and so he kind of gets off knowing any commands. Basically, please don't touch the hot stove is basically the only thing that uh, he needs to worry about. But whenever I tell my uh, three boys to share a room to clean the room, I get three different responses. And, and it goes something like this. Uh, I've got, first, I've got Jet, who just, the thought of cleaning his room is overwhelming. He just sort of just takes a look at all the clothes in the laundry basket and all the toys are sprawled out across the floor. And then he lays on the floor sprawled out and he's just like, oh, I can't. There's too much. And so immediately he just doesn't know what to do. He's never seen it done well. He doesn't know how he's going to start. He doesn't even know where to go. Then I've got uh, Titus. And Titus, God love him. Uh, he's three years old. And uh, his response to cleaning his room is to just sort of whine or cry, and he doesn't know, and he just can't. And to be fair, uh, literally uh, yesterday, he did paint the walls with poop. So he would be, for probably if there's anybody that would be disqualified, it would be him. Uh, and he would just kind of look at him and be like, nah, you don't want me paint. You don't want me cleaning. Look what I just did. And then I've got uh, Austin, who is sort of frustrated and tired, and he, he's, he ends up doing the most because he's the oldest. He's done it before. He sort of understands it. And he kind of goes, why do I have to do it? Why doesn't Jet help me? Why doesn't Titus help me? And I think the three responses of my three sons sort of reflect what, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing our faith, I think this is where we go. We, we resist Christ's call to go because we'd say, listen, we've never seen it done well, and it's just overwhelming. I don't want to be bullhorn guy. I don't want to randomly knock on anybody's door. Uh, that just won't go well. I don't like it when they, they do that to me, so therefore I'm not going. And then we sort of feel guilty, and we're obligated, and we just get exhausted, and we try not to think about it, okay? Second, 
if you're like Titus, you just like, listen, if you would have seen the poop I got into last night, you don't want me going. I'm a mess. My life's a mess. And I'm just a bad example of what Christians should be. Now, granted, I'm grateful. I'm eternally saved. I'm grateful for all that. But you want me on the sidelines to kind of get my life together first before you send me out there because there's no telling what I'll do. All right. Or third, we think somebody else should do it. We're exhausted. We've done enough. We, we did that stuff in our 20s. I, we went to college. We were a part of a college ministry who was out evangelizing. And listen, check that off. I'm now in real life. And listen, you don't want me out there because I'm not exciting as a person. I'm a, like a data analyst person. I'm introverted. You don't want me out there. So I'm doing the whole world a favor by not being out there. And this morning, um, I want to help those who sort of have thought that either evangelism was somebody else's deal or how it's not even really um, it, that you're ultimately going to be serve the community better by not going. And I want to convince you that it's actually the greatest thing in the world, not for the person receiving it. Because true, it is, will they receive eternal life? Yes, but it's actually really great for the person going. And you grow more when you go to share the gospel than you ever would um, if you didn't. So um, usually in a pitch like this on evangelism, you bring up the people that were once were lost, now are saved, say, see, this person was saved because we went and obeyed the great commission and God worked through us. Isn't that awesome? We're not going to do that this morning. I, I want this to be a guilt-free morning. I want this to be an exciting morning of how we're going to watch our relationship with God should be strengthened because we go with Jesus. All right, you guys ready? We're going to pray and ask God to bless this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10 this morning, so if you want to get your Bible ready. But let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. God, thank you for your word, that it never returns void, that you are always doing something infinitely powerful through us. And so, Lord, would you speak to us? Hide me behind the cross. And, Lord, I pray that we would take that sort of, like, admonition of guilt that we've always sort of expressed like, like we've got to somehow feel guilty about not sharing the gospel. Rather, we go with an excitement and enthusiasm because you have done something in us and through us and we want to be able, the whole world to know about what an eternal life with you might look like. God, thank you. Use me this morning to speak your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 35. Uh, and so if you pull out your Bible, this is Jesus gathering the disciples to go, going together. They're watching him, him do his thing. And in Matthew 9, 35, we're going to watch him powerfully move. Uh, here, watch this. Matthew 9, 35. Here's what he says. Uh, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, which is kind of awesome. When Jesus shows up, he starts healing people. We're all for that. All right, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, now I love this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, and I want to pause right here because the reason I got to the disciples because it points out the disciples were right next to him and they saw him have compassion. And I think in this day and age, in our culture, the last thing that we have for people who don't believe in Jesus is compassion. 
You know what we really have? We have a lot of anger for people with different viewpoints that aren't of God. We get upset and angry and frustrated when they post stuff on social media that goes against um, the gospel as if they have any other way of thinking. And we want to, instead of um, have compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, we want to call them out. We want to call them hypocrites, call them names, get angry at them and watch them sort of like, oh, you're so right, I'm so wrong, super Christian. Thank you for reminding me of how in the depths of my sin I am. No, the reality is that doesn't help anybody, does it? But the only way you would know that, because religious people all over the place, in, in the time that this was written, in, in our time now, are really great at showing how moral we are and how much better we are than everybody else. And that was the problem back then. It's a problem today. Is we don't recognize that people are struggling. And the reason why they might be lashing out or living in darkness is because they don't have a shepherd and they have their whole life seems to be under their control and they're trying desperately to keep it together. And if they can control some sort of political sphere, if they can control some sort of um, lifestyle choice, if they can control something like that, then maybe I will I'll finally feel like I have it together. And I think that's where our hearts sort of go and we want to just judge people and make them feel really small for being so blasphemous. But Jesus, when he shows up, he doesn't start correcting people's behavior. He just goes, look at these guys. And he has compassion and pity and he looks at their brokenness and he's like, man. And he said to his disciples who are right with him, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Now, what I really love about this is that they had to be with Jesus. So the disciples go with Jesus. They had to be with him to see him have that kind of compassion. And I think that's where I want us to kind of first wrap our heads around. We've got to go with someone who understands compassion. Now, l listen, watch this. This is so, so key. There's so many things that Jesus did that you couldn't get it from just hearing about it. You had to see it. A couple of things, like John 11. You remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? And uh, he, there's this part of, right before he raised, La you know, calls Lazarus out of the tomb. He's been dead in there four days, and he's about to go like, Lazarus, come out. Before he does that, he goes, Father in heaven, um, I know that you he hear me, and you always hear me, but I'm actually praying right now just so that everyone around me would know that you sent me. And I love that. Here's Jesus understanding that he's an example for his disciples and they need to see him praying to God so they'd understand that he had a, a relationship with the God of the universe so that when he called people out, it wasn't like just magic show time with Jesus. Okay, so John 11, you saw that. Okay, Mark 135. Jesus sometimes would like go hide away from the disciples, hide away from everybody. He'd be in a lonely place praying and then the disciples would have to go searching for him to find him praying. It's so important because what it showed is that Jesus didn't feel burdened by people. He felt an absolute necessity for him was to be alone with the Father, and that had to be modeled for the disciples. Or, or how about this? Remember in Matthew 3, 17, uh, the Father speaking to Jesus? He's like, this is my beloved Son whom I love. Oh, with him I'm well pleased. In other words, he said, this is my, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're mine. And they, the disciples need to hear that because one day they would understand that Jesus was loved by the Father. And, he, and that same love 
that God loved the Father with is that's how all Christians are loved. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're mine. Oh, beautiful. They got that from being with Jesus. Or how about Matthew 14 when he looks up uh, just before he feeds the 5,000, before every miracle, there's this interaction with him and God. Uh, Mark 9, remember when the disciples are on the Mount Transfiguration, you got the Father and Jesus and uh, Moses and Elijah all sitting there talking. And they, ex- they experience that incredible, like, what is going on with Jesus? He, how does he have this connection? And probably the one that's most powerful is in Luke 22 where he's sweating blood and asking God to take the cup away. And, and the disciples are a stone's throw away just sort of overhearing him pray. Jesus modeled for them what kingdom living looked like. Now, uh, this reminds me when I was, um, uh, when I was in year 2000-ish. I, I'd been a Christian for just, I mean, I'd been a Christian for a while, but I just decided to be full all in on loving Jesus for about six months. And uh, I got to my unit in the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And uh, I, a lieutenant friend of mine, he was a Christian, and we, had been, we were in the unit together. He was about 10 years older than me, and he had been special forces. He was an awesome dude. And every day we'd spend it together. And when, our, when the men were working on the motor pool and they would say, uh, sirs, uh, would you please just not be around for a little bit? You can come back and check on things, but it makes us a little bit you know, nervous when you're always staring over our shoulders watching what we're doing. We're like, all right. So we would go and make like, we go to the Army-Navy supply store. We go make food runs for the guys as they were working in the motor pool. And the whole time, Sam would just start talking about Jesus. And he would, he would go on. He'd say, he said, you know what I love is I love Luke 22. Jesus is in the garden. And he's like, if there's any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And he, and he said it over and over. And so much so that it's been incorporated into my everyday life. Whenever I preach the gospel to myself, I remind myself that if there's any other way for salvation to come through good works or by doing some stuff, Jesus would have chosen because he took on hell for everybody. He said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's Muhammad's way or Buddha's way or Hinduism's way or any other way, let's do it that way. And that was the beautifulness of the exclusivity and the inclusivity of Christ. It's inclusively exclusive for everybody to hear the message that Jesus came to save us. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's true that watching Sam, I watched him with his family. I watched him pray. We'd have conversations. I watched him share the gospel. And he was like 10 years ahead of me and just 10 years ahead of me in just every way. And I just was so grateful uh, for, that, for that time that I had with Sam. Because it infused in me something really unique and really powerful, and it moved me to understand the gospel even greater. He was with Jesus, and I watched, and me being with Sam was sort of like, I got it modeled for me what I was supposed to do. And I didn't have like a a specific training schedule where we went over how to share the gospel, or a specific training schedule where we went over how to treat your wife and how to raise your kids. Because isn't it true, the best lessons in life are caught, not taught. I mean, the, the lessons, you would say, my dad always, and then you'd come up with what he said or how he did or what he did. And if it was bad, you caught it. If it was good, you caught it. And a lot of who you are today is because a lot of the lessons in life that you learned, you didn't even realize you were learning them, were caught, not taught. And I think that's why it's so important for us to spend time with people and training them so they don't go off to do this Christian life all alone. And it was modeled like that with Jesus. Now, Watch what verse 38 of Matthew 9. Look at this. This, is, this sort of blows my mind on this last part. 
Therefore, so he sees that these people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He says, uh, the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. And he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay, which is Matthew 9, 38. In fact, if you want to do something right now, pull out your phone. No, no, really. Get, if you're watching your phone, this makes this really easy. Uh, go away from here for a second. I want you to go to your alarm setting on your phone. Do 9.38, either a.m. or p.m. A.m. would be really cool. You're in the middle of a Zoom call with somebody at work, and you're like, hold on, my alarm's going off, and you start praying uh, for lost people. Or you don't have to interrupt the meeting, but you can just start praying in your head, praying in your mind. 9.38 a.m. or 9.38 p.m. I want our entire church on 9.38. Alarm go off. That we would pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Because isn't true that we need to be praying, we need to talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. I think that's sort of a reality and the truth that I've learned just through my time in watching Sam of how we would pray uh, before we went to share the gospel with somebody, how we'd be praying for people that we worked with, pray the, go- pray the, uh, the gospel over people um, that were, were soldiers among us. We would do that. Then look at verse 1 of chapter 10. And I in, intentionally put it right after 38 because there's, technically there's no break. So they pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into his harvest. So they do that. And then immediately he called them to himself and his 12 and gave them authority. Look, look, look. They are the very answer to their own prayer. And it might be the very person that you're praying for that you're sending out, God, would you send out laborers? He might be calling you to be sent out. In fact, in fact, I think he is, because Matthew 28 says that all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. And so the truth is we're called to go. And right here in, in nine, Matthew 9 and 10, he sort of gives us a blueprint of what it would look like for you to go. First, you go with somebody like Jesus took the disciples along with him. And then you go to Jesus, and then he's going to send everybody out. And he's going to give people authority. Look at this, this word authority. This, this word authority, it, it was specifically like power over, um, going like with the authority of. And he, they would have power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease, every affliction. But more importantly, he had the authority to go in Jesus's name. You see, this is huge. This is huge because disciples go to Jesus, all right? Disciples go to Jesus to be, feel that transformative power. Now, so our prayer is not only for um, the people that are lost, it's also for us, that we'd experience the power, the authority. The, the Greek word is exousion, where we'd experience the power over the sin and darkness. Because remember, you'd say, listen, Chris, if you knew the poop I got into uh, that I had spread all over the walls, uh, you would say, don't go. You need to get your life together. And I would say, even in your sin, come boldly with confession and feel the forgiveness and the joy. And then we need to tell the world that God, it's not performance that gets you acceptance when it comes to Christ. We go to Jesus, and that's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And how do we do that? We, we preach the gospel by reading about his word. We, we proclaim that gospel truth that Jesus came. He died on the cross. He rose to the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's coming back. We preach that to ourselves, but we've got to get in God's word. Now, here's what's something that's really interesting. Now, um, recently I looked at this study, and in this study, um, it was like Christian habits and patterns. And it, what, the intention of the study was, like, what happens when you spend this amount of time in the Bible? It just was one of the questions they asked, and then they did a parallel, you know, 
uh, thing where they figure out, they figure these things out. They said that when you spend one time a week in the Bible, like for example, right now, right now you are listening to Pastor Chris. Open up your Bibles, open it, look at it. This is this counts as one. Um, this is going to have zero effect. Other than listen, I'm not saying it. The, the word of God will return void. But if you expect to have your entire Christian life transformed by one time a week listening to uh, YouTube, Twitch, or Facebook, uh, inevitably it's going to have zero effect. You're not even going to remember. When someone says, hey, what did you talk about church? You'll be like, Chris's kid pooped on the wall. Can you believe that? Like that's about all you're going to remember. Now, if you get into two times a week, still negligible. Three times a week, there's like a little blip on the radar. But something strange happens that researchers found when you spend four times a week in God's word and prayer. Something dramatically changes. Well, what changes? Watch this. Here's, here's some of the stats that came out. Feeling lonely drops 30%. Okay, and you're like, all right, well, I, I can get with that. Anger issues, like the rage that you feel with your spouse, with your kids, whatever. Road rage, that drops 32%. Or how about... Relationship issues, just marital issues, kid issues, boss issues, relationship issues drop by 40% when you spend four times or more a week in God's word. Alcoholism, which I thought was sort of an interesting one, that drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant, the, the number of times a week you've got to be in your word so you're not feeling spiritually stagnant. Because if you ever like, I'm just not getting fed, I just don't really feel, I would ask you, are you reading your Bible? Like, no, no, I'm not. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60% when you're in your Bible four times a week or more. You've said it. I'm just not getting fed. I just don't really feel it. Well, it's because you're not in your word. You're not, you're not experiencing Holy Spirit power. Or how about this? Four times a week or more porn. Your addiction to porn drops 61%. That, this is just the survey. Because of the power. You, you remember, you're reminded that Jesus died on the cross for the penalty of your sin. He died on the cross for the power. He, the Holy Spirit comes in you. He rose from the dead. The Holy Spirit is given to you, and you have power over sin. That's beautiful. But here's something even cooler. And I, I really want to kind of just you to think about this. You're given authority, right, to represent Jesus. And here's what's really neat. Sharing your faith jumps two. 100% if you're in, your, in God's word and you're in prayer four times a week or more. 200%. I mean, imagine what would happen if we were in, our, in God's word daily. I mean, it's unreal. How many more people would hear about the gospel? How many more people would respond to it? And not, here's something more crazy. If you're in your word uh, and, and you're in prayer four times or more a week, you're, the, the thought that you're going to be in discipleship is up 230%. Now that's mind-blowing. That's simply four times a week or more. It transforms all your daily habits. Everything comes under the power and control of Christ because the bulk of your week is spent focusing on thinking about God's Word and His power and interacting with Jesus. We go to Jesus so that we can go for Jesus. Do you see that? We go to Jesus so that we can go for Jesus. And you're like, okay, well, Chris, I don't know much about prayer. Maybe I'd love to get If you want to email joel at wellsbranchchurch.com. In fact, uh, if Joseph or James, could you guys wrote, write joel at wellsbranchchurch.com? He is our prayer guy. And you want to get involved in weekly prayer, 
where you're connecting with God, we'd love for that to happen. If you want to get involved in a discipleship relationship, email james at wellsbranchchurch.com. We talked about that last week. But man, if you want to get plugged in and involved, maybe you don't even know how to read your Bible. And you're like, I love to start it. And I started in Genesis, then I got stuck in Leviticus when it started talking about boiling your kid in your mother's milk. And I just didn't understand what that meant. Don't look that up right now. It's a goat, not a kid. What is wrong with you people? All right. Okay, so then what happens is, is that that transform. We go to Jesus so that we can go for Jesus. Now watch how Jesus calls them to go. Watch this. Verse 2, chapter 10. Now these are the names. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brothers. He names them in pairs. And he starts off with the brother pairs. So you've got Simon and Andrew. Then you've got James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Then you've got Philip and Bartholomew. You've got Thomas and Matthew. You've got James and Thaddeus. You've got Simon and then Judas Iscariot. Who betrayed him? We've got to make sure that we know which Judas that is because he was not a good dude. Uh, and these 12, Jesus sent out. So notice this. They, sin- they sent them out, and they were given authority. To go. And they go in a, as a team. Because I think there's a reality that we get stuck because we'd say, listen, I'd love to go, but um, I, and we need somebody in that moment where we're like, to say, we can do this. Let's go. Or at least push you out there and go, I know you can do it. Like, there, there, there's a reality when we do so much better when we're in a team. And I think the reason why you haven't shared the gospel with anybody is because you've never been on a team. You've never had anyone praying, never one encouraging. You're like, well, it's weird to bring this guy to my you know, Christmas dinner. At least if you have someone praying alongside you for the people you're going to share the gospel with, that's a huge encouragement. And they can do that thing. So did you do it? And you're like, no, I chickened out. And then you're like, okay, that's okay. Let me pray for you again. This isn't like I'm going to, it's not condemnation. You want to do it. And so it's more a matter of encouragement. And we need people to encourage us. Don't you get enough negativity throughout the week and throughout the day? Yes. You, say, you need someone to say, you can do it. I believe in you. Jesus died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Now, he sent the, these people out. Now, obviously, g- disciples go for Jesus, right? This is what I'm saying. And when, when Jesus wrote this, or Jesus wrote this, when Matthew wrote this, here's what Jesus said. He said, listen, don't go to the Gentiles or Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, that would change later in Matthew 28 when he'd say, go to the nations, right? So that's, that kind of got shifted. But the way that he went was really unique. They go proclaim the good news, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons freely. And everyone's like, Man, if I said evangelism was that, there would be not one person who didn't sign up. I'm up for some miracles. I want to see it happen. And listen, this was a specific time, specific day when the disciples rolled with Jesus. They were doing some serious miracles. People were getting healed. People were getting saved. People were being raised from the dead. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen today. It just isn't the norm of evangelism because evangelism would be really, like it would not be hard to get people on board with doing evangelism if we saw the, the dead raised all the time. Now, and then he says, don't go with provisions. But Paul went with provisions later in Acts. So that's not sort of the model. And then finally, he, he ends it with this saying, like, listen, you're going to get rejected, which is sort of weird. Hey, you're about to go do this thing in my name. You're going to heal people, raise the dead people, and they'll still reject you. Now, do you think that seems weird, right? that Jesus would send disciples out to get rejected. In fact, not only rejected, if we read on beyond verse 15, you get persecuted. You're going to stand on trial. So Jesus is telling them to do something intentionally uncomfortable. Is that true? Yeah. In fact, it gets really uncomfortable on verses 14 and 15. 
He doesn't talk about rejection. He says, hey, listen. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. To which Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by hellfire and brimstone. To which you're like, I don't know if I really feel comfortable sharing that part because we're in Austin, Texas, and I don't know if you noticed, like outside, people in general feel like that's sort of judgy. Like when you start talking about people going to hell, if you don't believe a certain way, they're going to be like, see, you're a bigoted. Beep, 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 beep. Okay. And, and that's true, that people in general are going to be pretty upset when you don't tell them what they want to hear. Because the way of the culture is, listen, um, the culture shifted. It used to be a time everyone was sort of wrecked by their conscience, and it went like this. Hey, listen, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, rose to the dead. You could be safe from that. No, I can't. That is foolishness. You should never say that. I can't believe you would say that. You, I'm going to be damned even further for even listening to you. And then at some point, the culture shifted, right? And probably because the gospel had a huge impact. And now people say, this doesn't matter. I can do anything I want to do. I do me. You do you. There is no hell. Love wins. And there is no darkness. There is nothing. Listen, everybody should be able to choose what they want to do, what's right for them. The way I live shouldn't be judged by anybody. Until we get into this place where God designed you, he made you specifically for a purpose and a reason we rebelled against that. And so here's the problem. Here's really probably the biggest problem. Um, everybody wants to be the person, okay, that's like publisher's clearing house. You show up at somebody's house and you're like, here's a million dollars. The person's like, oh my God, a million dollars. That's the greatest thing ever. They're su super pumped. Or um, if someone like is trapped in their house and a, there is a fire and you show up and you bust down the door, you rip that person out, like, come on, I'm going to save your life. And then you rush them out of the house as the fire is burning and they're like, thank you, I'll owe you my life, whatever you need. I'm naming my first kid after you. And you're like, that's right, I'm awesome. Okay, like in general, we're all, we're all cool with that. Now here's where we get stuck. Um, if you had a million dollars and you were, you were about to go give it to Jeff Bezos, you, guys, you know who Jeff Bezos is? He's the uh, CEO, founder of Amazon. He's worth $196 billion, with a B, billion. And if you rolled up to his estate with a million, he'd probably be like, mm, what? I don't need a million dollars. All right, fine, thanks. Put it over there next to the other stuff people gave me I didn't want. All right, and so it just wouldn't matter. A, million, a billion dollars is a million million, right? And so if he's got $196 billion, he doesn't care. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need all the things that you're offering, and so therefore, he's going to reject you. Okay, or, or, what about, or at least, like, just go, whatever, thanks. Or, or what about if someone can't see the fire or smell the fire and the smoke alarm's not going off and you're rushing them out of the house, they're going to think you're crazy. Maybe probably uh, call the police or file a complaint. That, there's going to be a problem when we share something of someone that they can't see because ultimately, we're telling the future. We're saying, my God holds the future. He's got the whole world in his hands, including my future. And, and it makes sense on the backside, but on the front side. Do you guys remember, you don't remember because you weren't alive then, October of 1929. October 29th, 1929, that's when the stock market went to its absolute nadir, the bottom of the barrel. And in September, it started going that way. So let's say in August of 1929, you were like, hey, listen, listen, I want you to divest yourself of all stock. I want you to sell everything you have, buy gold bars, sell your house. Sell nothing is going to be worth anything. But if you have gold bars, as soon as the economy drops, you'll be rich. Just trust me. And they would be like, bro, 
<laughs> Seriously? That's crazy talk. Right? But then after October 29th, they'd be like, yo, let me in. How come you didn't tell me? You had all this information. How did you know you knew it all and you, ne- you kept it to yourself? Why? Because you were afraid that I'd get upset at you? Like, at least let me make the choice, my own choice, if I want to accept it or not. That's what they'd say. And you'd be like, I can't win. So here, here's what we're sa- telling the people. Listen, there's a king coming. He made the world. He made everything. And he loved his world that he's a king of. And he said, I want to have a relationship with my kingdom. And I want them to know how much I love them. But my design is my design. And I'm a just God. And I don't just let rebellion as a king that's traitorous. And death is the consequence of that. But good news is I love my kingdom so much. I sent my son Jesus to take their death and to die the death they deserve. All they need to do is receive it. And surrender. Surrender to me as a coming king. And so we have the authority as ambassadors. We say, we plead with people, listen, Jesus loves you. If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, I'm pleading with you. Jesus loves you. You are part of his creation. He loved you so much that when your sin and your rebellion uh, garnered you the death sentence, he sent Jesus to go to the cross for you. And he rose from the dead. All you do is you turn from your set, surrender. Now, if it's true, then it's the greatest news in the whole world. If it's false, it's like you're putting a guilt trip on somebody for no reason. But the reality is that it is true, that we're in darkness and sin and death. And the crazy thing about it is, um, did you know that millennials, if you're a millennial, give me a, a shout out on the chat screen there. Give me a shout. Come on. Come on, millennials, do your thing. Millennials are awesome because they understand the gospel and feel actually equipped to share it better than Gen Xers, uh, way more than boomers, and way more than our elders. And, but here's what's weird. 47% of millennials who do know how to share the gospel and feel equipped to share it won't share it because it is offensive. And they don't want to risk the relationship and turn somebody off because if they were to share it, it might make someone offended. And it's bad, therefore, to convert people. And what I would say is, listen, our love for people has got to be so strong and have compassion on them that even when they look self-sufficient, we'd say there's an offer. And listen, I understand that there's, you don't want to waste your pearl among swine. Don't feed to to the pigs your pearls, right? I I got that. But the reality is if there is a hope that we have and there's people we care about, there is just something in us to say, I want to share the hope I have with you. But here's the good news. Remember, Jesus gave us the authority to share the hope that we have as his representatives, but not the responsibility. And every great boss delegates his authority, but never the responsibility. Every great boss always delegates the authority, not the responsibility. The responsibility of saving people is on Jesus. That's why we go to Jesus before we go for Jesus. Because that's his job. Our job is to be the messenger of the king. Say, hey, here are the terms of surrender. He paid your price. All, all that you need to do is surrender and turn your life from the darkness of your heart and turn it towards him. All right. Our job is to be obedient to Christ to share, not carry the weight and guilt if someone says no. 
or not even carry the weight and guilt when we're afraid to go because of course we're afraid to go. Of course there's rejection out there. We need Holy Spirit empowerment. We need teammates to go with us. And so um, this morning, this morning, I want to challenge you to go with, to, and for Jesus. I want you to go with, to, and for Jesus. And you're probably like, Chris, I would love to go with Jesus, you know, I, you know, I do that all the time anyway because he's always with me. I can't get away from him. I want to go to, I just, I want to go to Jesus. I, I just don't really know how to pray or I don't really know how to do, and I definitely don't know how to go for Jesus. Now listen, I want to bring uh, a friend of mine up here. Uh, her name's Melanie. And Melanie is a, an introvert, which is, makes this even more exciting and really dangerous to give any introvert uh, a, phone, uh, a microphone because in general, y- usually they're going to give you a lot of one-word answers, which is totally fine because it kind of proves my point. Melanie, welcome uh, to the one-word answer show. All right, you can please, no, I want you to give me actual answers. So um, tell me, are you, first of all, are you an introvert? I am definitely an introvert. Good job on making that a whole sentence. That was good. All right, so tell me about your experience as an introvert and what that looks like uh, for you when you get around new people. Um, It makes me really uncomfortable. I sweat a lot. It's really fun. (laughs) This is the uh, smell-free camera, uh, so thanks for that. Uh, So tell me... uh, Melanie, like, how did you first get involved on evangelism? Like, when you, like, first off, when you do evangelism, you actually talk, right? Yes. You yes, talk I with do. people you don't know, yes. even though you're not great at it. Yes. Okay. So how did you get trained to do this? Um, I mean, initially it was Robert Sass yeah. uh, put on a training here, um, and we talked for a while about, like, how do you share the gospel, and then we went out and did it. And how was that first time for you? Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you say would you say that you've grown in your relationship with Jesus since sharing the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, part of that is just like having to say it out loud. I start to like understand it better myself. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things we say all the time around here is the number one person you need to preach the gospel to is yourself. And I guess the training really helps you do that a bunch. And is there any time when, when you've shared the gospel with somebody like, oh my gosh, I think I just worked out one of my own issues in front of this person? Um, I mean, just a lot of, like, personal issues as far as, like, just being able to talk to people and, like, share the gospel and, um, like, with strangers. Initially, it's a lot easier than sharing with people that you know because I am a millennial. <laughs> I don't want to break relationships. <laughs> um, if it's a stranger, I'm like, oh well, no relationship here yet. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So tell me, um. What is the next step for somebody who's, who's, who's watching this and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. What's the next step for them? Um, just go with people. Um, we've, so we've got some trainings going on the next three Monday nights, mm-hmm. 6 p.m. over Zoom. Um, so we're going to put that in the chat link. Can that magically happen in our chat link? Can someone put the Zoom link? And we're going to put that on Slack and Facebook and all sorts of places. All right, go ahead. Um, so it'll be a great time to just get together. We're going to be doing a lot of practice, uh, sharing the gospel, sharing your testimony. Um, and we'll have some times, a couple times throughout the week that we can go out together and you can just watch. I love it. And so talk to me a little about the compassion aspect of when you, when you go out with people. Give me your, like, your intro line when you're like, knocking the door and they're like, go away. Do, yeah. they, do they say go away? Uh, most of them don't say go away. What? Um, We've only, even in Corona times, like we've only had a couple of people that are like, we just really don't want to talk to anybody right now. Um, part of it is like we go in like our own neighborhoods mm-hmm. and in the church's neighborhood. And that just kind of, it like there's a connection there that mm-hmm. wouldn't be if we just like went somewhere down South Austin yeah. and 
didn't know anybody there. Um, but we just, like, we want to care for our neighbors and care about our neighbors. Um, so a lot of times, like, we'll walk up to the door, ask them how they're doing, just see, like, ask if there's anything we can pray for them or their family about, and then just let that carry us into... So you're not just going up there and, like, just say, all right, listen, repent or die. Like, take this... You don't do that? No. Oh, okay. So give me, give me like, what a little bit more on what you do. Um, yeah, so knock on the door, ask how they're doing, ask if we can pray for them. Uh, a lot of people will say, like, yeah, um, I've got, like, a family member that's sick. A lot of people will also say, like, oh, no, like, we're, we're doing okay. Um, and on those, we like to kind of dig a little bit more into it. It's like, can we, like, can we just pray that God continues to bless you? Um, yeah. And most people say yes to that. And then do you come back around and say, like, hey, can I share a story of great hope with you on the yeah. second time around? How does that go when you, whenever you share it? Do they go, oh, thanks? Or how does that, do they go, oh, my gosh, you judgmental bigot? Um, I've never gotten that second. Round. <laughs> <laughs> um, most people are like really appreciative. Some people are like, oh, that's cool. And that's, they're kind of done. Um, a couple weeks ago, it wasn't the group I was in, but there were, there was like a triplet of people. We go in like twos or threes, depending on numbers. Uh, there was like a triplet of people that knocked on somebody's door and he just accepted Christ right there. Wow. So, yeah. That's, that is, that's exciting. Yeah. All right. So tomorrow. Yes. 6 p.m. Yeah. Monday night. On Zoom, links there. So grateful, Melanie. Thank you for coming and sharing that with us. Awesome. Appreciate you. All right, so here's what I want to do now. Um, I want us to go into a time of communion. And uh, the reason why we go like we do is because Jesus came like he did. You see, Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is what Christians do. And we do it because our souls were bankrupt, starving. We were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then the shepherd came and he gave his body and he died. And then that same night, he took the cup said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember that Jesus took on hell, the wrath of God, satisfied in, by his blood because he, the wrath that he'd been pouring out from eternity past, he received it in himself so that we might have relationship with the God of the universe who is. That's why his name is I Am. And he revealed himself in Jesus. God saves. And our whole life is in his hands. And so, um, this morning, just, uh, we're going to take time to take communion together. But before we do, if there's anything that's sort of unfinished with God, would you take some time to confess that? If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to offer that to you. That maybe today in, in our prayer, when I say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come to my life. Make me the person you want me to be. That you would fully walk into that and have a brand new life. And you'd let us know. And if you've been a Christian for a while and it's gotten mundane because you've never done, haven't done anything risky, the riskiest thing you've gone, done lately is gone to the grocery store and you forgot your mask and you just put your shirt over your nose. Like my hope for you is that we would put, do this great risk 
maybe it's not in person because you're like, Chris, I'm not going to do the in-person thing. I don't want to put anybody at risk. But maybe you go uh, evangelize um, through the internet and through social media. And instead of putting the political post that gets, you know, people like you all fired up going, yeah, you would reveal that you're a broken mess of a person who Jesus saved. He died because he died on the cross for your sins. Rose to the dead. If anybody else wants to have that same love, acceptance, if anyone else feels harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, you come. Maybe that's what you're going to do. But I'd love for that if you would join us tomorrow night on Zoom where we come together and we learn. And Robert Sass has been doing this for a long, long time. And all the people he's been training, including Melanie, would be able to hear from, respond to, and we'd watch God work in a really unique way. God, I'm so excited about that. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm, I'm so excited that you would be with us, God, that we, you would, um, we would come to you, Father. And we'd go for you because you have done something very powerful by coming. And Lord, this morning as we're bringing up stuff that's in our heart, maybe it's what we did last night or what we did last year or what the something that's there that we haven't confessed to you. We know that when we come to you, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you. God, please, would you bring us some forgiveness this morning? Lord, as we confess that maybe we didn't value or we didn't have compassion on people, we, we were afraid because we're full of fear. We want to please man and over you. And God, I, there's times when it's just not appropriate to share, but there's other times where it clearly has been. And I know I personally have been like too afraid. And so God, would you give me courage? Would you allow us to confess that weakness? And would our, in our weakness, would we find your strength to go and share the hope that we have? You are the king. So Lord, we're going to take some time right now as everybody takes some time to confess some sin and bring the darkness to the light. In Jesus' name we pray.